Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on from research through to commercialization, operationalizing the integration of patient insights from the 2022 Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit. For more information about the Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hi, it's nice to see everyone. So I am a director in the U.S. organization at Beringer Ingelheim. I joined, you know, my background's actually in patient-centered research and measurement science. And I joined the organization four years ago when I learned they were standing up a center of excellence that was focused on advancing our patient-centric culture, as well as our methods and approaches for how we engage with patients across the life cycle. So I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about my experience working in that center of excellence and how the work within the US organization is now driving an evolution of how we do this in our global organization. But before I do, I just wanna um, thank Patients as Partners for inviting me here today to, to participate in this. This is actually the one conference I make sure that I attend every year. I think this might be my fifth time. Um, I just, one of the things I've loved about working in the field of patient engagement is there really is just this um, openness and willing to share transparency in what our struggles are on the industry side, on the advocacy side, on the regulatory side, and really try to work together towards advancing the science of patient input. So I just really love being here, and I'm, I've never seen this many representatives from pharmaceutical companies talking about patient engagement embedded within their organizations. So I'm just really excited about how far we've come. Obviously, we still have a long ways to go, though. My legal colleagues want me to make sure that I let you know, although I'm an employee of BI, the views and opinions expressed in this presentation are my own and don't necessarily reflect the organization. So we reached a pretty big milestone last year at the company, and patient centricity is now officially one of eight guiding principles in our human pharma business unit in the corporate organization. And you know, this was my first corporate job, and I'll be honest, I kind of glossed over and maybe even rolled my eyes when I first started at the big corporate vision statements. But what I appreciate now that I didn't at the time is first that these, you know, corporate vision, whatever you call them, guiding principles, vision, um, they really do set the tone and culture of the organization. You know, we're 50,000, so not huge, but big enough that you really do need that clear direction. But second, and I think probably most importantly, is they also set how the money is spent in the organization. So now that we actually have patient centricity embedded in as a guiding principle, leaders across the organization have justification to invest in this work. And I think that's critical. I also wanna point out that in the US, we also have had since 2020, a patient centricity strategy. And that is led by the Patient Affairs and Engagement Center of Excellence. And they, she, the head of that team works very closely with the human pharma leadership team to set the strategy and review it and have accountabilities. And it was actually this strategy in the US that drove the inclusion of patient centricity as one of the guiding principles in the corporate organization. It goes without saying, but obviously this has been a journey and we still have a very long way to go. If you were here this morning when um, Mark Bowden was speaking with Sarah Krug, you know, we talked about how the characteristics 
and kind of qualities, um, experience of people who are doing patient engagement within their um, organizations, it really depends on how this function has evolved. And that really resonated with me. At BI, patient engagement evolved through advocacy. And we did work in the HIV space, so our advocacy dates back to the 90s. Um, advocacy also grew out of the U.S. organization. There, there have been unique challenges with that because we are a region and our global organization is in Germany. Um, so it, it, although we formed a formal patient advocacy function in 2008 in the U.S., it wasn't until 2014 that we had a global patient advocacy organization. In 2016 is when we formally embedded patient engagement as a part of what our advocacy team does, and that was both in the U.S. and in the global organization. In 2018, the U.S. recognized it's not enough to just ha say this is a part of what you do in advocacy. We really need to set up a center of excellence so we can advance how this is done in the company, and that's when I joined on the journey. Last year, as I mentioned, was really exciting because you know, we've had this commitment from our corporate organization, and it wasn't just words. They've also heavily invested in patient centricity and engagement. Our global advocacy team is now double in size. They have uh, the, still the patient advocacy managers, but in addition, they have a center of excellence modeled after the U.S., which is just focusing on how we do the work that we do. And then you also have these therapeutic area patient engagement leads. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But really our focus right now is on embedding patient centricity and patient engagement within the departments across the organization. So the global patient engagement therapeutic area leads are a strategic role. Their role is not to facilitate patient engagement, the expectation is that that happens within the departments across the organization. But more, their role is to look across the TA, and within this TA, these are the different indications we're working in, what are the unique considerations for conducting patient engagement, and what are the expectations for patient engagement in those indications. So obviously when you do patient engagement for a rare disease like generalized pustular psoriasis, that's gonna be different than when you do patient engagement for diabetes. And so these therapeutic area patient engagement leads help to define what those unique considerations are as well as what the priorities and expectations are for patient engagement within those therapeutic areas across the organization. So the goal is obviously to ensure that patient experience data is systematically integrated throughout the value chain. And this is tough to do. You know, we actually have a lot of different sources of patient experience data across the organization. In market research, we have our patient journeys, our patient advocacy managers have patient advisory board meetings that they lead. Even in our global clinical development and operations organization, we have a whole team that's dedicated to patient and site centricity. And this team might conduct mock trial simulations, and they have other um, you know, ways that they collect insights to specifically inform the design of our trials. So when you have all of these disparate insights, you know, we're, the center of excellence in global is really working, how do we maximize the impact of these insights and really ensure that they're getting into the hands of decision makers and we're being efficient in how we approach this. So the, the, the other challenge we have here in the US is that we don't actually get money from the corporate organization to begin investing in a disease area till we're pretty close to clinical development. Clearly that is far too late for us to be starting patient engagement. 
And so we're trying to kind of work out and optimize this model, but currently how it's set up is that global patient engagement really leverages the global ad advisory board meeting to set that early strategy. And so this has been a core part of what our global advocacy group does for several years now. Um, they have ad board meetings, bring in an ad board representative from China, from Japan, Malaysia, Spain, US. They have simultaneous translation. It's very cool. I love going just, just to see the little boxes and wear the headphones. It's very cool. Um, and at, at any rate, so we have these, but then once it shifts to start preparing for clinical development, the therapeutic area patient engagement leads in global share that overarching strategy. And then at the country level, the countries are responsible for kind of confirming the hypotheses that they generated in these advisory board meetings. And here in the US, that has been all about really focusing on improving diversity and representation of the insights. We know that we can't just go to patient advocacy organizations. We also have to go to other community organizations, grassroots organizations, and we know to need to go to other patients that may not be affiliated with an organization because what is important to one patient may be different than what's important to another patient. So what does this look like in practice? Um, I'm just going to give you an example. We were moving into a new indication. This was not a new therapeutic area for us, but a brand new indication. And so our PAR group, our patient advocacy group, did a mapping to find the different patient organizations. They facilitated a patient advisory board meeting. During the discovery, one of the patient advisory groups had done a lot of quantitative and qualitative research to really um, characterize the unmet needs and unique considerations for this population. So that organization kicked off the meeting by sharing the results from that research. The other or patient organization sitting around the table responded, reacted to that, and then we shared some specific aspects of our program that we were hoping to get input on. The insights from that advisory board meeting, as well as patient journey work from market research that had been done, and a literature review that had been commissioned by our global patient engagement team that really was pulling together everything around what matters most to this patient population is pulled together into a patient engagement report for that indication. And then that patient engagement report serves as a foundational document for all the other departments that are building unique plans or deliverables within their functions. So it goes to clinical operations, it goes to the asset lead, it's really embedded um, into the foundation of other programs. As I mentioned, we're now at this point where we're really focused on empowering teams to embed patient centricity and engagement within the departments. So this is really about shifting the accountability for patient centricity and engagement from a center of excellence or a patient advocacy function and pushing that accountability onto the organization. So if you're the head of medical affairs, it's your responsibility to ensure that you have accountabilities built into all of your processes to make sure that patient engagement is happening and that patient insights serve as the foundation of what you do. Perhaps that means that as part of your annual review process for medical affairs plans, there's an expectation that your plan isn't approved if you don't in fact have patient engagement built into it and you haven't gotten patient input onto it. We do feel very strongly that this has to be driven at the department level because they are the experts in their way of doing business. And so they're gonna have the best ideas and also by being a part of defining what good looks like, 
they're going to have ownership of ensuring that it happens and that it happens well. The Center of Excellence is a critical component of this model because the Center of Excellence is working on creating very, very clear process with our legal, compliance, and other stakeholders. They're working on trainings for across the organization. They have a number of resources that are available. They also provide methodological expertise on patient engagement methods and approaches to the organization. In addition, they facilitate pilot programs when we have new ways that we want to engage with patients. Maybe we have new agencies or vendors that we want to work with. So they're more working on the overall operational process and the strategy. Oh, I pressed the wrong button. So patient centricity, we do define patient centricity as the organizational mindset and culture of putting patients at the forefront of everything we do. So there are some functions or departments within our organization that are really just going to focus on patient centricity and not engagement. They won't be engaging with patients um, to inform the design of products, programs, and services because that's not really a part of what they do. We do have a number of resources that are in this patient portal that exist um, specifically for the purpose of bringing patient um, perspective and um, patient voice just into your day-to-day -day work, whether you're in finance, finance and human resources. We also, I think in the session just before, someone was talking about a program um, of patient experience mentors or ambassadors. We also have a patient centricity ambassadors program. We have over 50 people that are in that program in the U.S. organization with representation from all of the different departments. And this is really all about embedding that patient centricity. So people meet monthly um, in that, that team and they talk about ways that they can bring, and they have a number of resources that are presented, that they can bring that patient-centric culture into their respective departments. So we don't have, there's no magic recipe. You know, I think part of why you see a lot of different approaches to patient engagement and patient centricity within the pharma industry is because we all function and work a little bit differently. We're set up differently. We have unique cultures. But some of the things that we have learned along the way that we feel have been critical to help us get to where we are now and some of the um, additional areas that we feel we need to focus on to continue to grow. Um, first, leadership support is essential, um, really critical to driving the integration of patient centricity and engagement across the organization. Fortunately, the head of the Patient Affairs and Engagement Center of Excellence, Carrie Yale, that leads that team, she was also the person, the first person in the organization um, to ask to start working with the ACT UP um, HIV activists. So she's been here from the very beginning, and she helped to create the new patient advocacy function, advocated for building in engagement as a part of that, and ultimately the center of excellence. So she has her whole career at this point really known and understood the importance of garnering that leadership support. Investing in the culture of patient centricity is just as valuable, if not more valuable, than investing in engagement in, in the beginning. Because if you don't have that investment in the culture, then you're not going to have the engagement. Creating accountability, and we strongly believe that creating that accountability and the expectations within the departments is essential. And empowering teams to conduct patient engagement on their own um, as they're skilled to, and also partnering with agencies. 
You know, I think that we've all experienced pushback if you work in a pharma company um, on, you know, is this important and how is this important or why we should be doing this. But the first time you have somebody that is hesitant participate in an engagement activity, their mind is changed because they understand the value. And we think that if you bring the experience of engagement as close to the decision at hand that's being made, then ultimately we're going to be developing more patient-focused products. This is not a, a solution that we have, but we know that we need to work on information systems that enable searchable storage of insights so that we can increase accessibility. You know, we have the patient report where we integrate these, but that's, that's a... A, a laborious process and it doesn't solve for the solution of somebody's just sitting at their desk and they want to um, you know search and understand what do we know about this disease from the patient lens so if anybody has ideas on this please find me at the break and finally I'd just like to say that prioritizing co-creation and collaboration is essential if you're here at this conference there's a reason you have a purpose we've all been driven to this work for a reason and for me that reason is my son by the time he was eight, he'd racked up a slew of autoimmune diagnoses. Fortunately, he also did inherit something good. His dad is the most calm person, and my son inherited this. He's the kind of, of, of person that you sit next to and you just automatically relax. And when he got that last diagnosis, which was, I hope will be his last, of juvenile arthritis, it kind of was his breaking point. And it was scary as a parent to watch him go through this experience as an eight-year-old. And he just said to me, I don't know anybody that has any of these things. Why do I have so many? And I said, that I can't answer. That's just the way that you were made. But you aren't alone, and I can change that. That's something I can do something about. So the next day, his rheumatologist had had some information about the Arthritis Foundation. I sent him an email, and right away they got back to me, and they said, we have this conference in three weeks. We have scholarships. All you have to do is get on a plane and come down here. It was terrifying for me because he had very severe life-threatening food allergies to many foods, including eight of the top ten foods. So restaurants are out. It was in a hotel where I wasn't going to have access to a kitchen. It meant I was going to have to find a way to feed him. And it was terrifying, but I said, he needs this, so we're going to make it happen. And he found what he needed. He found other kids that had arthritis. And I found what I needed because I was a researcher, had been a researcher for many years. But the night that I stood around a room like this, it was a session for moms of kids that have arthritis, there were these posters all along the walls, and they had all of these different themes. So multiple autoimmune di diagnoses, brain tumors, oncology and arthritis, teens and arthritis. And they asked you to kind of go to what called you. You talked for 15 minutes, and then you shifted. And I just, I was blown away because I thought, oh my gosh, this is like a qualitative researcher's dream. <laughs> because it went from looking at that review and those statistics of you know, these comorbidities to hearing the experiences and the ways that these symptoms presented and the challenges that they experienced. And I recognized for years that I'd been working as a researcher and I'd really been missing that connection. So it can't be about, you know, here's this patient, let's all be inspired about it. It has to be that co-creation, that sharing of the ideas, because it's the magic happens when you're marrying that expertise and that knowledge of the patient with the expertise and knowledge of the clinical development and the basic science that goes behind it.
All right. Thank you, guys. Any questions? I don't know. We have time maybe for one. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Patrons as Partners Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you.